Scarantino, and this is the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Every week, I'm going to be talking about a new topic to help you guys get the fuck off the shit that doesn't serve you anymore. But first, let me tell you a little bit about me. I used to work as a bartender, and I lived in the New York City bar scene. I smoked between a pack or two a day, and I was what you'd call quite overweight. I learned that the secret to adopting a healthy lifestyle is a series of mindset shifts. Unfortunately, they don't always come with an owner's manual, so I decided to start this podcast to give you guys the nuts and bolts without you having to do all the research on your own. Getting healthy does not mean you have to sacrifice your outstanding personality, and it actually can be quite a fun journey. I'm really excited to have you guys on that journey with me. Let's get off together. Happy 2022 listeners of the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Welcome back for my second year. Uh, I don't count that first month in 2020 as my first year. This is going to be our second full year of the Get the Fuck Off podcast and I am so excited to have all of you with me starting off the new year. I really hate doing what everybody else does. You guys don't even know how much that annoys the piss out of me. But I know at the beginning of the year that people do want to know things about like habit formation and stopping drinking and things like that. I mean, that's why a lot of people are here and then a lot of people kind of just came here because of that and then stayed with me because they liked me. But at the beginning of the year, I think a lot of people really start exploring this idea of changing habits And there's so much information out there. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a story. I was watching Good Morning America on New Year's Day. And it's like, can we just come off of it? Like, it's the same shit every fucking year. Actually, they did a really good job. They were talking about food and they were talking about health. Uh, They had somebody on from Barry's Boot Camp, which is a gym here in New York. I actually know someone who works for Barry's. Um, really fun environment. They had a nutritionist on talking about eating habits and things like that. It was very useful and it was really informative. And then blocked between that, we just have commercial after commercial after commercial of diet culture. Like, like shit about like, oh, slim fast and then some other random crap. And then you'll have diet apps and everything's just sandwiched and there's just so much fucking information And I genuinely feel bad because at the beginning of the year, I think a lot of people really do want to kick things off to a good start, myself included. I mean, I'm not immune to this and I'm not somebody that makes New Year's resolutions. But right now, for example, I talked about Andy a lot on my podcast. He's somebody that I really admire in my life, a really influential person in my life, my friend Andy Petronic. And he's doing a challenge for the first month of the year where for the first hour of the day, he calls it my sacred hour, we don't interact. We don't communicate with other people in the outside world. And instead, we do self-serving practices. So I'm meditating for a half hour and journaling for a half hour every morning. Usually, it ends up being a little bit longer than an hour because I usually sit in silence for about 15 minutes and just sort of not use my phone. The purpose behind this, you you guys might think it's dumb um but the purpose behind this really for me is that when I wake up in the morning the first thing I do is I jump into my phone and what that does is that really interferes with my spiritual practice of meditation I'm not asking anybody that listens to this podcast to develop a spiritual practice but I do have one and for that it really 
hammers in who I am in the world and my ego, which is very separate from the spiritual practice. Again, that is not something that this podcast is all about. That's not something I'm asking you guys to do. But for me, it's really important that I that I have that separation. Because as I'm going to talk about in this particular episode of the Get the Fuck Off podcast, I really like my ego and I really like my life here on earth. Like a lot of people that are really spiritual are trying to transcend the ego and I think that I do that in a lot of ways. But I also really, I, I really like to eat, you know, and I really like to run and I really like to listen to music and I like to do all of these things like this podcast. Like I, I like to do things here on earth which are human experiences, which are thus by spiritual experiences because being human is a spiritual experience in itself. Anyway, that was a tangent. That was a, that was a digression. I really want to go back to the idea of habit change and I want to talk to you guys about some stuff because getting started with the year, changing habits, it's powerful. It's powerful in that you will have company. You will have people with you that are going to want to do it. Just... Stay with it and don't push yourself to try to completely overhaul your life because that's where people get fucked up because what they do is they say, I'm going to overhaul my fucking life. I'm going to lose 100 pounds. I'm going to get a new job. I'm going to stop smoking weed. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop doing what's Everybody just turns into a, a miserable sack of shit by the second week because you can't just do that. I certainly have overhauled my life and I didn't do it. I walked quickly. Yes, I did. I walked quickly and it happened over the course of a a quick period of time. But everything happened slowly in terms of long days of just focusing on one thing at a time. And I'm going to talk to you guys about drinking and stopping drinking because people really want to know about that. I know people want to know about it and I'm deliberate in that I don't talk about it. And I'm just going to use this space to kind of explain why because I... I, I want to work out why in my own head, so I'm going to do it with you. This is not rehearsed. I have a couple of notes here, but I'm, I haven't really looked at them since I started speaking, honestly. I'm just really trying to communicate this, and a lot of times I do my best communication when I'm already in a flow. So I'm in a flow. I stopped drinking because drinking was getting in the way of things that I wanted to do in my life. Drinking was getting in the way of my running. Drinking was getting in the way of my relationships. And drinking was getting in the way of me moving forward. But I didn't know that when I stopped drinking. I stopped drinking because I had a really awful Christmas two Christmases ago. And as I recall the events of that day, because we just had Christmas, so, you know, you have you have a big event that, like, makes you stop drinking, and then you tend to relive that event on those anniversaries of that time. So whether we like to do it or not, I mean, that's that's just something that we ended up, that we end up doing. So I, I did have a Christmas where it was the anniversary of my father's death. It was the one-year anniversary of my father's death, um... My ex-boyfriend was taking his ex-wife on a 10-day vacation, which was something that he had promised her. And I thought it was a great idea at the time. I thought it was wonderful. It actually was a great idea. Good, I'm, 
glad that they went. I'm glad they had a really good time. But it was hard for me because at the time he and I were kind of still seeing each other and I didn't realize how much that was going to hurt me. Um, And in addition, I mean, I just had a lot of unprocessed stuff from my father passing away. I never really dealt with him passing away. I kind of just, I went immediately to California and drove the length of the Pacific coast with my ex-boyfriend and I never really processed that shit. So it was like a year later when all of it just came and hit me like a big, big kaboom. I mean, there it was. And I was not able to handle my emotions. I, and rightfully, rightfully I wasn't able to handle my emotions. I mean, it was a lot of shit that was hitting me all at once, you know, and and the morning of Christmas, my brother was having a really hard time. So that was manifesting in different ways for him. We ended up going to the hospital for an unrelated issue. And we sat there on Christmas morning for a couple of hours after breakfast. Breakfast was a hard time because the service was bad because it's always bad. Members of my family hate bad service and that's why we always get bad service I believe it's because it's manifested but that just might be my thoughts but whatever I mean it was just a really like a lot of bullshit going on and so I was unable to handle my emotions so it was just crying it was just crying and everything was just coming up it was coming up and 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 I and I was crying and this really upset my brother and I I think it upset my mother too but it really upset my brother and my brother kind of gave me an earful about it. I've talked about this in a previous podcast, but I'm talking about it again for those of you who might be new to the podcast and didn't hear the old episode. Um, And he, and I said to him, you know, I have a right to be upset. And he said, you do, but you don't consider how it affects other people. And it was one of the most powerful things that anybody's really ever said to me because I realized at that moment that I had become that person that I didn't want to feel the things that I was feeling and I was going to shove them down with booze and I was just going to be able to not handle myself and I didn't give a shit if it ruined your fucking holiday. Um, because it was about me you know I was gonna push it away and if that meant that I was insufferable to deal with because I had the melt I had a meltdown on Christmas Eve because of my ex-boyfriend and his vacation and then I had the you know the Christmas Day stuff with my father and my brother and all that all that other stuff I didn't care I didn't care how it affected anybody else and I realized through this well a couple of things one I would have been much more equipped to handle my emotions if I didn't shove them down with booze for 15 years and when I say guys that I shove my emotions down with booze I'm not talking about getting up in the morning and having a drink when I first get up and just sloppily stumbling all over the streets like I was a person who appeared as someone just having a great time I disguised shoving my emotions down with booze under the umbrella of I really like craft beer let's go check out this bar because they've got 40 different beers on draft and oh then we had like this thing where we'd go out on Tuesday nights after our shift and call it Maniac Tuesdays there was this bar in Midtown I'm not gonna say which one Maniac Tuesdays where the bartender was really into me and he would just feed us shots of Jameson and then he would end up making out with me throwing me against walls for like the last hour of the evening. I mean it was hot. I mean I 
really, I had a great time. I mean, we would go out to happy hour at Yukaku in Midtown, my friend and I, and we would sit there and we would order cheap appetizers and then we'd have mega mugs and we'd be shooting the shit and having a great time or even running. I'm a runner and I was a, I was a marathon runner before I stopped drinking and the best part after a really aggressive run or race was that first drink when you just felt that alcohol hit you and you were like, oh, this is fucking great and then you're drinking with other runners and that everybody's just having a great time guys I was having a great time like I was having a great time I'm, I'm telling you what there was about a year and a half where it was a little bit out of control that was before I lost all my weight and got my health in order and all of that but for the most part it was just a great time it, it appeared as it was a great time it appeared that way with visions of alcohol aficionado stuff like look at this great booze that I drink look at this wine look at this beer look at this swill of the glass like all that stuff I was the social aspect there was so much socialization I live in New York City this this town is drenched so there was so much wrapped around all of that that I didn't really even see that I was spending all this money and doing all of this stuff to avoid feeling things because it just it was a great time I mean when you look back when you actually open your eyes and look back most of the time wasn't this phenomenal time we end up romanticizing it so when I'm talking to you guys right now I'm romanticizing my drinking gears there are plenty of times when it was not a great time most of the time I mean because I felt like shit for most of the time but I didn't give it up because it just wasn't I, I mean I just wasn't in a place where I was ready to give it up. Like even when my ex-boyfriend left me at the airport, I've talked about that before, that was fueled by alcohol. I was hammered out of my mind. I tell one side of that story, but I also was pissed drunk, belligerent that night. So I don't completely dismiss the fact that I have responsibility in that happening. Was it like really traumatic? Absolutely. And does it, it doesn't really still bother me because I look at that as the greatest gift that had really ricocheted my life into this positive forward motion. I needed that event to happen because I was so fucked. It had to happen. Like that event was inevitable because there was, it was what was coming to me because I had consistently made choices to be out of control and something had to wake me up and that was the event that woke me up and had it not been that event that woke me up there would have been one worse down the road that would have woken me up so I do view that event as a, as a great gift but I was not in control of my emotions that evening and I wasn't in control of my emotions basically the whole time I was drinking. Like everything was somebody else's fault. Like it was always somebody else's fault and I was a victim to everything and everything was just, well, I am the victim of circumstances. And I am the victim of circumstances and people have hurt me so I get to just act whatever fucking way. And um, yeah, two years ago I just stopped that. What really kept me from stopping that earlier, well, besides the physical addiction, was this image that I had of people that were in recovery. And this is kind of why I don't talk a lot about my sobriety is because, and I should be better about this, but people in recovery just pissed me the fuck off most of the time. And... It's not their fault. It's because 
a lot of the people that are really vocal about their recovery went through the rooms of AA and went through the American Anonymous group model where they believe that something is defunct or something's wrong with them or they have a disease or they have all of this. And it just just would turn me off so much. Like, oh God, am I going to fucking go and stop drinking and am I going to turn into that? Like, I mean, how many people do you know that are in recovery, they stopped drinking and their identity shifted from being the person who drinks to the person in recovery? Like, that's all they talk about. Oh, I'm in recovery. Oh, I'm in recovery. I'm in recovery. They'll be like, uh, this, this actually happened. The day my father was dying, the day my father died, we were at his home because he died in his home and... It was very obvious he was going to die. Like if you were there, you would you would know. Like this, we have hours, you know. So my brother and I went and my other brother went. And his brother actually showed up, my father's brother. And I hadn't seen him in probably 20 years, maybe longer, I would say. It had been a really long time. I don't even think he knew who I was at first because um, it had been so long. My father wasn't really great at keeping familial relationships He wasn't great at keeping a relationship with us and he wasn't really great at keeping a relationship with the people that he was related to. So it it was really not a big shock that I hadn't seen um, my uncle in 20 years. I think it was 20 years. I was, it was, I was definitely prepubescent when I saw him last. And I don't know exactly why this occurred, but he's sober. You know, he's an alcoholic. And, you know, my father had a lot of trauma growing up, so... They they all, the three, he and his two siblings, all had their own shit. Because when you grow up with trauma, you have shit. And so my father had his shit, and his brother had his shit. But his shit was that he was an alcoholic. And this day that I haven't seen this guy in like 20 years, my father's dying. He's going to die in a couple of hours. He did die in a couple of hours. I know this is uncomfortable for you guys. I'm sorry, but this is just the way that it panned out. I'm not like sad or having any you know feelings about this whatsoever but this is the way that it panned out that whole time that we were there which is very very strange my my uncle all he did was talk about how he is he doesn't drink how he's sober how he was an alcoholic how he and he just kept kind of talking about this and I'm like why is this like the major piece of your identity and why by the by the like I have no fucking idea why now of all times is the time that you're choosing to talk about this like what the fuck like but people do that you ever meet that person that's in recovery and they'll be like let me tell you about my 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 recovery and you're like Okay, like, who are you besides that? Well, it's just everything was so terrible. And I just never wanted to become that person. I didn't want to become that person. And it, and it, it's, if you're that person, like, I, I love you. I just couldn't accept that being in recovery meant I had to become that person. Because I didn't think that whether I drank or didn't drink was my identity. The same way that I never defined myself by my work. Like, and I still don't, even though now I do work that I like. I really get annoyed by the what do you do question because that's not me, you know. I'm not what I wear. I'm not my job. I'm not my family. I'm not my money. I'm not what I own. I'm not my behaviors. I'm not any of that. I'm Andy. Like, this is who I am. 
And I'm not any of that shit. That's outside. That's external. So I never wanted to have to have that usurp my identity. And then my friend Elliot, who is a guest on this podcast, actually he does go to AA and talks very openly about his positive experience um, with Alcoholics Anonymous here in New York City. And he goes to LGBTQIA very friendly meetings and it was a very positive environment. He made a lot of good friends. Um, but really, Elliot stopped drinking and then he just blossomed into the best version of Elliot and never ever spoke about himself in this derogatory way. And even though he wasn't drinking anymore, that really wasn't him. Like he wasn't, he didn't make that the main aspect of his personality. It was a part of him like, oh, I'm, I don't drink. But it wasn't like he was this fun-loving guy who really likes pop music, loves Britney Spears. Like he has a good time. He's joyful. He's funny. Like he's this really awesome dude. And when he stopped drinking, the I don't drink, I'm in recovery, never overtook his identity. And I realized at that point, oh, shit, it's possible for me to – stop this and not have to become the person as Elliot talked said in the the podcast that everybody thinks is sad and all of this stuff and I realized with him like knowing him and being around him and he was really my first mentor in sobriety I I love him so much I don't text him nearly enough that oh fuck like this this doesn't have to overshadow everything like this is just one part a friend of mine actually texted me the other night um about sexuality your sexuality is not your identity he said to me Andy I've decided that I don't have to come straight out and tell people that I'm gay I'm gay but that is not who I am that's just a part of me so I don't have to offer up that information if somebody asks I'll tell them that I'm gay but being gay is not the primary part of my identity and I was like hallelujah (laughs) yes you're right you're right you're right amazing So that was what it was. And so when I stopped drinking, it was not the thing that was at the the front of my mind because concurrently when I stopped drinking, I started speaking with Andy. And Andy was the person that really started working with me on the areas of my life that I wanted to change. Because the things that were quote-unquote wrong is it unquote not end quote unquote I'm I'm just thinking out loud I'm in a stream of consciousness guys like just I hit record and that was it uh quote unquote wrong nothing is wrong you know everything is just coming together and it's all divine it's divine timing but there were things about my life that I wanted to change mainly I hate my job like I hate my job I am working at a restaurant I have a master's degree from an Ivy League school like why the fuck can I not shift my life just a little bit what the fuck is wrong with me and I didn't realize just how many limiting beliefs that I had and how much judgment I had over my life over events over other people over myself over circumstances over things about me like there was so much judgment there that I just wasn't seeing like I wasn't seeing it I mean in Judgment is a major cause of human suffering because what we are doing is we're judging how we think something should be instead of living with it as it is. And I still do this. I might get around to a story about it. I might not. We're going to just, we're just going to see. But yeah, judgment, judgment will 
keep you suffering because instead of just saying wow how wonderful this is you're always thinking well I thought it should have been like this and it's like well it's not like that and now you're upset because you judged how you thought the things were going to look so people want to know people want to know about sobriety the different things that you're going to go through well first of all if you're a heavy drinker and you've been a heavy drinker a long time you have to deal with the physical part of it the physical part is the first part so I got really really lucky in sobriety in two aspects well the first was Andy and starting to kind of have conversations with Andy in my early sobriety because those were separate they were not about alcohol use at all they were about me and so I was doing work on myself and generally when you have a behavior that turns up if you do work on yourself and you start working through your crap, the behavior will present a lot less. But somebody once asked me uh, relatively recently about, well, how do you know what the things are? How do you know? And in that case, follow the behavior. So you want a drink and that comes up, you have two choices. You either drink or you don't. If you... So you, you, you might start this whole thing where you might not want to drink and that'll be fine for three days because all you're dealing with is the physical addiction. It might even be fine for six or seven. You know, it takes 72 hours. Really, the, the height of alcohol withdrawal is after about 72 hours. So if you, are, if you are a serious, serious drinker, I would consult a medical professional. I am not a medical professional. I can't, I can't talk you through detox. I don't know how your body is. I don't know how much you drink. I'm not going to claim that I do. This is just a disclaimer. If you are a really heavy drinker and you want to stop drinking, I would. I would seek out the advice of a medical professional. And only you can really know what your alcohol use is like. Um, but yeah, so you might go through the physical withdrawals and you everything might be fine. And then on day nine, something will trigger you to drink. And then you got the choice. You either drink or you don't. And if you do, then you don't really get to explore what it is that's triggering you to drink. For me, that happened in February because I was, I had a really easy time. I went through the the physical withdrawals. I read Alcohol Explained by William Porter. Yeah, I'm going to look behind me. Hang on. Yep, that's who wrote it. Um, Alcohol Explained by William Porter. And that kind of talked to me about the science of alcohol. And it was a really good book. I really enjoyed it. I read This Naked Mind, Andy, Annie Grace. Um, and I read those books and that helped me through the science so I'm a logical person. I'm a hyper-rational. So that was cool. And then February came. And February, I had this giant urge to drink. My first big one. And it was because I was going into my job. And I worked for a person that was a micromanagerial gremlin. And I was like, Jesus Christ, I do not want to go to this job. I do not want to go to this job. I do not want to work for this person. I do not want to do this work that I am unhappy in. I'm out of alignment. I don't like it. I don't want to do it. And I, and I was really having these really strong feelings. And I'm like, I just want to go after work and I just want to get trashed. And that's when I realized, oh, here it is. Here it is. Here, here, here's the first, <laughs> the first little bit. Because, see, it wasn't about the fact that I hated my job. It was about the fact that I had a very low opinion of myself because of my beliefs, my values, and my judgment about how I have lived my life. 
right? So I placed judgment. Like if you look at my life, I have lived a brilliant life, but I placed judgments on my life. And the reason that I did was because of things that I was taught by family, by, by society, by people that I knew, like just things that I learned and picked up along the way. So I was placing all these judgments on myself and I was not going forward in my life as a person that had high self-esteem, that loved themselves, that had all these other things. I was a person that didn't think very highly of herself. So the job makes me unhappy. I can't change it because of my limiting beliefs because I'm not a person that has the capability at this moment to make the change and that was the trigger to drink. So you see what I'm saying guys like it, it's not going to it it might not be in the area where you're tackling the physical addiction because your physical addiction is going to have to go by first and yeah you're going to feel some discomfort and that's the, the the second part where I had a really easy time because I had quit smoking first and let me tell you what if you can quit smoking you can do anything in your life like if you have not been addicted to cigarettes let me tell you what it's, it's horrible and the discomfort of not smoking when you've been smoking for a third of your life is insane half my life actually I smoked for 18 years I'm 36 and I actually quit when I was 32 or 33 I don't remember 2018 that was that was what fucking four years ago so I was 32 okay 32 so I had been smoking for 18 years by 32 so I was very addicted to that so every minute of every day was gross discomfort. It was terrible. It was terrible. It was just so uncomfortable. So I, I had had the advantage of doing that. So by the time I got around to alcohol, that was, that was cake. But the discomfort of quitting smoking, I'm going to tell you, as you move forward with your sobriety, when you stop drinking, it is going to be that discomfort. And after that, every time you want to make a change in your life, you're going to feel that discomfort. It's like the same exact feeling. The feeling of needing a cigarette is the same feeling as needing a drink. And then once you don't, quote, need those things anymore, unquote, you're going to still feel that discomfort every time you want to make change because what happens is your brain perceives change as dangerous. And then what happens is your body reacts to that. Your body is where you hold that stuff and your body will have a physical reaction. So anytime you want to change anything, you're going to go through that discomfort. So get ready for it. Um, but you can overpower that. I mean, you can overpower the discomfort and it's going to be something that will not be easy, but you can absolutely reach out to me if you are having a hard time. Andy, A-N-D-E-E at getthefuckoff.com. Also like Instagram underscore getthefuckoff. I'm really responsive to DMs. I want to just tell you guys uh, a couple of things that people, people kind of want to know. People talk about the I need a drink phenomenon. No, you don't. The only people who need a drink are people who drink. Uh, I remember my early sobriety. Somebody in my family said to me, you know what you need? You need a drink. And I'm thinking, I absolutely do not need a drink. The only thing that a drink relieves is like alcohol relieves withdrawal from itself. So if you can't calm down, for example, or you, you think that it provides you a calm feeling, it doesn't. It's It relieves the withdrawal that you're having from it so if you're anxious it's not gonna it's not gonna do anything for you it's not gonna make anything easier so you don't need that that will eventually subside as you stop 
doing it. Uh, the second part is that you definitely have damage to your brain if you've been doing this for a while. And so you're not going to instantaneously feel amazing. You're going to probably be depressed for like weeks. And that's all so really normal. Um, while your brain learns how to regulate itself again and produce the right chemicals at the right time and, and all of that. I mean, it completely has rewired itself through your addiction. So as you change, it will change. But that doesn't happen overnight. So you just have to go forward with faith knowing that it will eventually be better. The next thing people tend to worry about and talk to me about is the worry about, quote, how it's going to be, unquote, how it's going to be. Anything, when you want to stop any behavior, a lot of times people tell themselves stories. So that's what keeps people smoking for 20 years uh, is because they, they tell stories about it. So they'll be like, okay, well, I have done this forever and I can't stop because I'm going to be going on vacation. My vacation is going to be miserable so I can't do that now. And it's like, well, that's a story. You don't actually know that. But we, what happens is we're going through that anxiety because you're dependent on something and also you've wired a neural pathway to expect that xyz is going to occur so you're kind of going through that. So what happens is you start telling stories and we do that with everything. This isn't just addiction. This is life. And that's why, that's why I don't really talk about these particular things that much because I, like even when you're, what, you're going to go on a diet. I don't believe in diets, but let's say you want to start eating healthy. You start thinking about all the occasions where you're not going to be able to have whatever food you want to have, right? Like that's what happens. So you get, you get yourself all tripped up because you're already catastrophizing the next event where all of that is going to occur. Same thing with drinking. Like, oh no, I have a wedding coming up. Oh, that's going to be a real drag. Oh, my friends aren't going to like me anymore. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And that's just not the case. Like that's a story. Um, we say that a lot in personal development. That's a story. Anything that's not really happening that is not 100% true is a story that you're telling about the future. And you're, you're telling it because uh, you're afraid. And that's it. You're telling a story. So I mean I have a lot of people that are like struggling with their health. And they try to rationalize how their excessive drinking isn't causing some of the issues and I mean, it, it could be causing it in ways that you don't even know. So, but people will rationalize that. And, and all of it is just fear. Like we're afraid of things. Um, so that's, that's something else. Uh, the third thing, do you have to go to meetings? No, no. You're a powerful human. And that's another thing as I was talking about earlier with that, the, the way that I was turned off by people that just allow that to usurp their whole identity and talk about how they're powerless and how they this and how they that. Like, like, no, you are a powerful human being. Like you are unlimited power, your unlimited potential. And I'll be damned. I was never going to let a fucking person tell me that I am not powerful. Like fuck off. Absolutely not. I am a fucking great time. I can do anything that I want. Don't tell me that, oh, this is so, this is so hard. This is like climbing an uphill climb. This is Mount Everest. Cool, man. You keep reinforcing. You keep reinforcing those beliefs. You have a great time. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to buy that. Uh, I'm not going to say that it's easy. I'm, no, no change is easy. Moving apartments isn't easy. You know, getting a college degree isn't easy. Going to a new city isn't easy. 
fucking trying new food isn't easy. I don't know. I mean, try to get, I, I watched my mother one time try Brussels sprouts and you swear that you fucking, I don't even know. Think of an egregious act. It was an egregious act. It was like the most terror I'd seen on a human face right up until the Brussels sprout went in and then it immediately came out. I don't even think she chewed it. So these change is not easy by any stretch of the imagination. So no, I'm not going to say that it's easy. But I'm also not going to say that your life is going to be terrible and you're going to have to wallow in this bullshit for the rest of ever because that's just not the case. Now, is shit going to come up? Yes! (laughs) Shit is going to come up. And that's going to work its way to the surface. It's not going to come up all the time. What happens is I just read The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. I don't know if I talked about that on my last podcast. I definitely talked about it in an Instagram live. But what I was, what was great about that, that's just a great book. You all should read it, listen to it, get it. It's wonderful. Um, but what, what he was talking about is, is the blockage of emotion, right? So emotion and, you know, experiences, they, they pass through us. But some of them get stuck, so I think he was using the example, and I am going to butcher it, so please forgive me. But he was using the example of some car, I think it was a blue Camaro, I don't, I don't know, let's just say blue Camaro, um, talking about like the experiences, they, they happen to us and they pass through us. So somebody walks by you on the street, oh, there's a person, passes through, right? But then we'll have an experience that gets stuck. So he was talking about the, the driving down the road and you see a blue Camaro and you look over and like oh that's a nice blue Camaro and then you look inside the Camaro and it's your girlfriend and she's making out with another man and the pain and the and the way that that feels for you and instead of that experience passing through you it gets stuck and it causes you pain so every time you know a person will see a blue Camaro it'll cause you pain so I'll give you the most recent example in my life. I said I might have time for a story later, so I'm about to tell a story. I'll give you the most recent example of how this has happened to me, right? So over the Christmas holiday, my brother cut his finger and had to go to the emergency room. And he went to the emergency room. He's fine. you know. But this is not the first trip that we have taken to the emergency room because of things that are related to my brother in the past. And I'm without giving too many details to respect his privacy and the privacy of my family and everything like that. This brought up a lot of old shit for me. Um, Old shit about being young and not having my feelings validated always and not being able to have an opinion or being able to have things, being able to be validated as a child because my brother had a lot of psychological things going on he had behaviors he had some and and all of these things that were going on with him and I apparently had not allowed a lot of that to pass through so the him cutting his finger and going to the hospital or just needing to go to the hospital just going to the hospital was enough of a discriminative stimulus for me that it triggered that to come up and there was a lot of emotion I mean I was crying I mean there was all kinds of stuff because I was taken back to that time and what my brain wanted to do was my brain wanted to organize things in a way that made sense so that I could be okay like oh god like if he just didn't exist or something you know shit like that this is the shit you think about you know and 
my mother, I could just see this pure love that my mother has for my brother. I mean, it's just, it's beyond words, the love that mothers have for their sons. And she said a few things to me that really demonstrated how deep her love was for him. And I thought to myself, what joy and value he brings to her life and to mine and to mine. And my brain wanted to just make things okay, but I had to resolve within myself that my mother did the best that she could in a lot of ways and there were things that happened to me and they were unfair and they were this and they were that and they they were they did make me feel shitty for a long time but I had to resolve them and let them pass through and they had to pass through so that I so that I could not live and have that pain stuck there And sometimes it takes a really long time and you don't know when things are going to come up. Now, I don't have shit coming up all the time because I've really exercised a lot of my power of empathy. And as a coach, what we do a lot of the time is we look at the stories that people are telling about their pasts Um, because people tell stories about their pasts. And sometimes it takes a while for people to resolve the fact that the people that hurt you in the past are also humans that are really just trying their best and I mean even people that do the most egregious things are usually very very hurt themselves if you look at the most serious drug addicts or the people that commit heinous crimes or things like that are usually people that have experienced hell on earth before they get to that point I mean it's it's really it's it's just uncanny the way that you see it I mean you know you look at people that are meth addicts for example and I mean how many of them were not were sexually abused I mean horrible things that happen so you can't look at a person and say oh this person is horrible because of of things that they do but those it is your job as a human to do work on yourself to work through your own crap as it is everybody's and that's that's just the the way that it is so yeah I definitely have to work through my crap shit does come up that also is not my identity though I'm not gonna sit and you know be talking to every I would do this podcast this is my work I do believe that when you are in recovery you do need to give back and so I do for a living and and for fun help people move forward in their lives but that doesn't have to usurp your identity Kind of like running doesn't have to usurp your identity. You know, <laughs> like I'm a runner. Is that who I am? No, it's just something that I do. So it, it really is. I want to just let you all know, you want to make this change. You want to change this behavior in the new year. You want to change anything in the new year. It does not have to become your identity. You want to lose a ton of weight. Being the thin person does not have to become your identity. People are going to compliment you. Yes, they are. That might be uncomfortable for you. And you might have to work through your limiting beliefs around that. But that doesn't need to become your identity. When I lost a ton of weight, people complimented me. And then they stopped eventually. Like eventually I, my body stayed in homeostasis and people stopped complimenting me. I mean, it really, it's all just part of the trip, you know. But it, it isn't the trip. It's part of the trip. Your behaviors are part of the trip. The things you enjoy, the things that you love, all that shit, it's part of the trip. But it's not the trip. I say the trip because I'm really into Ram Dass. And, uh, yeah, I, I like Ram Dass. So pay attention to the stories that you're telling, guys. I mean, just pay attention. And and know and be aware. Because, yeah, as we, we have behaviors, as we get rid of those behaviors, it's, it's shit comes up and then we have to deal with that shit. You let shit pass through. 
if you figure out how to let shit pass through. This is, by the way, what I do for a living. So a lot of times what happens is we think in certain ways and it's not our fault. We were trained to think in one way and your brain has reinforced the way that it thinks so many times it doesn't know how to think in new ways. It doesn't know necessarily when something is true, when something is a story, like when we're talking about the future and how it's going to be, that's all a story. When we think about how if I stop being a people pleaser, everyone's going to hate me, that's a story. I'm not a people pleaser. I've never pleased a damn human and nobody hates me. Well, people, I mean, there are going to be people that hate you. That's just, that's just part of life. I, I have, I, I know I, I definitely have a bunch of people that are on the dance on Andy's grave list, probably because, you know, whatever, they work with me at restaurants. Um, but you know, like I have people that definitely don't care for me. You're always going to have that. But the stories that you're telling about how the world is going to turn into a catastrophe when you do X or when you do Y, that's all a story that is, that's not real. So don't think too far into the future, especially with things like habit change. You know, if you're trying to be healthy in the new year, you, you got today. Like you have, you have this hour, you have the next hour, you have this afternoon. Don't think about next week. No one cares about next week. You got a business meeting in three weeks. You're worried. You're worried about how it's going to be going out for drinks after that meeting. Don't worry about that. That's in three weeks. You, you'll worry about it that day. And then you'll decide what you're going to do that day. Don't be thinking about it. We, I could go on forever about the emotional space that we take up by just thinking about things that have not yet happened that will likely never happen. So that is early, early sobriety. We do that a lot. We're always thinking about, oh, what's this going to be like? Oh, what are my friends going to be like? I mean, my, my friends are all still here. Yeah, I mean, they're not, they're still doing their thing. I still go out with them. I don't go out till four o'clock in the morning because I'm tired, but I do. I mean, it's not much has changed. So yeah, I know that this is the type of year, guys, that everybody's kind of thinking about how things are going to be. You can definitely reach out to me if you're feeling stuck. Um, I do a special for new clients. Um, I give the first six weeks at a very discounted price and, uh, you know, give people an opportunity to see what coaching is like. Um, see if it's even a good fit. Uh, definitely do a free intro call as well. You know, you're not going to just be listening to someone's podcast and, and I know that it's a big commitment. It's a, it's a big commitment. So yeah, I mean, I know it takes time to really decide on that. So if you guys are curious about what that looks like and you want to talk to me about it, Andy, A-N-D-E-E at getthefuckoff.com or Instagram. I, I will warn you about Instagram. Um, I do check my DMs. Um, I don't check the message requests every day just because I forget, you know. And um, once I see that you're not spam, I'll, I'll move you out of the request folder. But I mean, I'm when, when you have a promotional Instagram, what ends up happening is you get about three or four people every single day trying to make you offers and how they can make your Instagram better. And then, you know, all the, all the genuine requests get lost in the fray. So I do try to check. Sometimes I forget. So email, I check constantly. So that is, I know that's sort of an OG communication. A lot of people sometimes prefer socials, but email is a great way. Andy, A-N-D-E-E, getthefuckoff.com. Also, you check out my website. You guys can get on my email list. You can check out all the old episodes of the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Um, I do other stuff on sobriety. 
which are probably a lot better than this episode because I feel like I've been kind of rambling for 40, 45 minutes and 17 seconds now. It'll be a little bit longer for you guys because of the open when you finally hear it. But I hope you guys got value out of this. I definitely intend always to provide value for you guys. Um, and I'll be back next week. I'm going to go. Um, I will see you guys next Monday trying to get back to now that I'm back in New York City. I am back in New York City as of yesterday. Um, I'm recording this on the second so yesterday will be the first for me you guys are going to be hearing this on the third but yeah I was back in New York City as of yesterday and I'm gonna my intention is to show up regularly every Monday so I'll be back next week with a new episode for you guys um till then you guys take care be safe and stay beautiful